want to dive right into the message today. We've been looking at Acts chapter 2. We've been talking about engaging as a church with what the early church engaged with, right? And so, you know, we see the first message of Peter in Acts chapter 2, where he talked about lordship, he talked about repent and be baptized, and he talked about the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 were added to their number that day. We see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And then in verse 42, we see, and they devoted themselves. And we talked last Sunday for a few minutes about what that devotion looks like, right? It meant they were all in, right? It meant that they were focused on some things. We said last week, right, we can't focus on 20 things at once, right? It's not possible, okay? Um, and and, the, and, and the, because they were all in, because they were devoted, they persevered. They didn't give up. They didn't quit, right? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And he goes on, he says, and to the breaking of the bread and the prayers, they shared everything they had in need, right, as one needed. Um, they were generous. Signs and wonders came on them all. But I don't want you to miss that. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So we talked last week about the fellowship, right? That, that they were devoted to the fellowship, the church. They weren't just devoted to the potlucks. They were devoted to the people at the potlucks, right? That's essentially what Ian was talking about last week, right? I'm with Ian. I'll show up for a good meal. All right, praise the Lord. I'm sure that all of you have some, somebody came to the 830 service, they're like, I got peppered steak in the crock pot. I'm like, well, when's that going to be ready? Because I think you need a pastor's visit today. She said, right before kickoff. I said, all right. I looked at one of the elders. I said, we got to pull a Matthew 18. We've got to go into a pastor's visit at 530 and test this peppered steak before kickoff. And so that's what I'll be doing this evening, right? It's not about the potluck, it's about the people, right? They devoted themselves to the fellowship. And I know we went a little bit out of order, and that's probably messing with some type A's or some ones or fives on the Enneagram, okay? It's probably messing with you a little bit that we went out of order, okay? But I don't want you to miss that the apostles' teaching came first. That Dr. Luke, when he's writing this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Next week, we're going to be talking about communion, okay? The breaking of bread. And then we're going to, then we're, two weeks, we're going to be talking about prayers, okay? But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What's the apostles' teaching? The scriptures, right? They devoted themselves to the scriptures. What Dr. Luke was specifically saying was that they devoted themselves to the writings of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's going to make a little bit more sense in, in a few minutes when we start talking and, and getting into the heart of the message. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the Bible. Now, I was having a conversation with somebody this past week, a friend of mine, and as we were starting the conversation, he says, Travis, I've been curious about something. He doesn't come to our church. And, um, he said, I've been curious about something. I, I want to know how you put your messages together. Now, that's a pretty open-ended question, okay? And that's a big question, and so I wasn't really sure, so I talked for a little bit, and, and, and then some clarifying questions were asked, and so I decided to walk him through the message for today, that, you know, I'm going to start here, you know, I'm going to try not to tell a football story or to talk about who I'm cheering for tonight, go Chiefs, okay, I'm going to try not to do those things, right, I'm going to start here, I'm going to go, I just, I don't understand it, I mean, Ashley, I need you to 
not wear that anymore, the Tom Brady jersey, okay? The Tampa Bay Tom Brady. It just brings up things in me, okay? <laughs> Can I confess bitterness this morning? All right, anyway, right? But I told him I was going to probably do that, right? And that um, what we were talking about today was a high view. Everybody say high view. I want to make sure you're listening. A high view of the Bible. A high view of the Scripture. And he's like, that's interesting. Shouldn't that be... Like, assumed that if I'm going to come to church, shouldn't it, shouldn't it kind of mean that I think the Bible is important? And here's, here was my response. I, I think, I believe that we have kind of bought into this mentality when it comes to Scripture that the Bible has some good ideas in it. Instead of the Bible being our life. Instead of the Bible being our priority. That I think in the church, we've reduced the Bible to a book that has some pretty good ideas, some good morals, some good standards. But when it comes to buying into the whole book, we struggle. And he's like, why do you think that is? And I want to I, I be careful with answering the why, because that's kind of what I want you to do this morning for yourself. If you would fall into that category, why has the Bible become that, been reduced to that in your life? Right? And I think, that, I think one of the big reasons that I've seen in my personal experience right, is that sometimes the Bible hits us in places that hurt. Sometimes the Bible hits us in places that makes us think, and we don't want to think about that stuff. Right? Sometimes the Bible challenges us and, and makes us feel a certain way, and we don't want to feel that way. Right? And so, so this, might, this message this morning might rub you a little bit. And it might challenge us a little bit. And so I want to tell you that from the outset. So I did some research. I want to let you into some of my research when it comes to the Bible. Is that all right? And, I've, and just so you know, because I'm careful, I'm careful when I throw out statistics. Okay? I've looked at about five different places and confirmed all of these that I'm going to share with you. At least three, most cases five uh, confirmations with the statistics I'm going to share with you, okay? Because I'm careful when I put statistics out there, right? Um, so, let's read through some of these. Americans, this article says, has a positive, have a positive view of the Bible. Positive view of the Bible. It's a good idea. Morals, right? Many say the scriptures are filled with moral lessons today. However, more than half of us have read little or none of the Bible. Less than a quarter of those who have ever read a Bible have a systematic plan for reading the scriptures each day. Less than half, excuse me, less than a quarter of those who have ever read their Bible have a systematic plan for reading the scriptures each day. A third have never picked it up on their own. Have never picked it up on their own. Most Americans don't know firsthand the overall story of the Bible. Most of us don't know the overall story of the Bible uh, because they rarely pick it up. Even among worship attendees, less than half read the Bible daily. The only time most of us hear from the Bible is when someone else is reading it, and mostly on a Sunday morning or Sunday night, right? Um, about half... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. About half of Americans, 
have read relatively little of the Bible. One in 10 has read none of it. 13% have read a few sentences. 30% say they've read several passages or stories. Americans also differ in how they approach reading the Bible. I thought this was good. 22% read a little bit each day in a systematic approach. A third, 35%, never pick it up at all, while 30% look up things in the Bible when they need to, right? They, they, they trauma, uh, they, they trauma dealing with you know, anxiety or hurt or loss, right? Then they look up those specific things. 19% of people reread their favorite parts, while 17% flip open the Bible and read a passage at random, right? Which is really dangerous to do, right? You just take your Bible. All right, God, I'm going to give you everything I've got today. I'm going to give you everything I've got. Give me something. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom all is my, is my del- Yeah, I'm excellent. I am excellent. All his delight is in me. We should talk about humility, right? But 17% of us just flip open the Bible and read a passage at random, which as we just saw can be dangerous. A quarter, 27% read sections suggested by others, while 16% say they look things up to help others. Those with evangelical beliefs are more likely, 49%, to read a little bit each day than those without evangelical beliefs, 16%. Protestants, 36%, are more likely to read every day than Catholics, 17%. The more often we attend church, the more likely we are to read the Bible daily. Right? You just keep going to church. No. Um, 39% of those who attend worship services at least once a month read a bit every day, while only 13% of those who attend services less than once a month pick up a Bible daily. Here's where it gets tough. Men are more likely to skip Bible reading than women. 39% of men say they do not read the Bible on their own compared to 31% of women. And then this is the one that probably hits me the hardest. Folks in the Northeast. Now, okay, I know some of you are going to disagree with me, all right? But I is one of you, okay? All right? I've been here over 10 years now, and I'm married in, okay? I'm married in. I don't claim the life of fried chicken and sweet tea any longer, okay? Those days are in my past, all right? Um... But folks in the Northeast, 48% are more likely to never pick up a Bible than those from any other region. Now, can I tell you what my first thought is when I read that? That we're going to rent a bus, we're going to drive down to Tennessee where most of these statistics are done, we're going to knock on the door and we're going to tell them a thing or two. Talk about us New Englanders like that. Right? No, I'm just kidding. We can't do that. Right, But it's true. Why is it true? Again, I want you to kind of look inward and answer that for yourself. But if, if 48%, right, half of us almost, are more likely to not read the Bible than any other region in our country, church, we've got a problem. And let me tell you what the solution is. This. This, right here, what we're doing, this time, right now, Sunday after Sunday, opportunity after opportunity, where we get to gather 
and fill ourselves with the Word of God. Because I do believe, what one, one, one of the statistics in there, right, is that one of the big reasons that we struggle with the truth of the Bible, we struggle with a high view of Scripture, is that we don't get the story. We don't understand the message. That from Genesis 1-1, creation, to fall, to Jesus, to the end of all things in Revelation, that is one story of a Savior that came because He loved you. That was sent by a Father that, that calls you a son and daughter. That calls you beloved. That calls you beloved. Let me tell you about, let me tell you about this book. 66 books. 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses, 1,260 promises are found in Scripture. 1,260. 1,260 promises in the Scriptures. Don't you think we ought to spend a little less time condemning each other and beating each other up, especially ourselves? Maybe we ought to claim some promises, some of the 1,200 promises that are in Scripture over each other. That might be, whew, is it all right if I preach? We might be here till the Super Bowl. <laughs> 1,260 promises in Scripture. Uh, over 8,000 uh, 8, prophecies. 3,268 fulfilled prophecies. 3,294 questions, probably most of them from Jesus. 40 different authors. The Bible's been translated into over 1,200 languages. There's ministries, there's people out there today that are still trying to learn languages so that they can translate the scriptures into those languages. The Nevaqlay tribe down in Paraguay is one of those. And the fascinating thing about the whole thing is that there's absolutely no, somebody say no, contradictions. There's not one. There's not one. In the 31,102 verses, there's not one contradiction. It's a love letter from God the Father to you, to me, about a Savior that He sent to pay the debt of our sin because He wanted to be in fellowship with us so that we could spend eternity with Him and have hope in Christ. That's a big deal. And here's the, and here's the rub. Here's the issue. Many of us know that, but we don't know it. We can say it, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in uh, Him would not perish but have everlasting life. We can spout it, we can recite, we can, we can recite it, but, but do we believe it? Do we buy into the meaning? Because I want to submit to you that if we bought into the truth of Scripture, to the truth of the Bible, we wouldn't have a choice but to honor it. To have a high view of it. Let me tell you something. Two things. Two things I want to tell you from the outset. Number one, Travis, this is outdated. Scripture's outdated. Oh. No, it's not. It's not. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. That parenting issue, that financial thing, that relationship, that rub that you got, that you're frustrated with with culture, you know, whether you feel this way or that way, right? Let me tell you something, it's happened before. Like fashions make their way back around, which I can't wait for Jinko jeans to come back. I'm on now, the big skater jeans. I was never a skater, but I looked like one, which was important. 
right? Like fashions come back, so do issues in culture. It may look different, it may smell different, but there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. The second thing I want to tell you is that Jesus himself in John chapter 20 says this, many other signs and wonders were done that were not written in this book, but these are written that you may have life and have it to the full. You know what that means? That this was written, this was put together, 66 different, different books, 40 different authors, I think three continents, three languages, all of it put together, all of it put together, right? So that you and I might experience life and life to the full. That doesn't sound boring. That doesn't sound outdated. That sounds full. Right? I mean, it even says it in there. That sounds better than any Super Bowl. Right? That sounds better than any, any meal. Right? That, that, that these are written that you may have life and have it to the full. The purpose of the scriptures is a love letter to you. And so my question for you today is this. As you start to think through this, as we start to talk about the Bible and look at Look at what it says about itself, okay? And we're just scrapping the, scratching the tip of the iceberg, okay? I, I want you to get the meaning, but my, my question for you as, from the outset is this. How do I view the Bible? Okay? I want you to think about that. What is my view of the Bible? What's my view of the Bible? Okay? It may come as a shock to some of you, but I've spent a lot of my life studying this Bible, Went to a Christian school. I went to a Christian high school, right? Mainly for basketball, okay? We can say it's because I was spiritual, right? But it was mainly for sports, okay? Because that's what you do in North Kakalaki, right? You, know, you go to private schools to play sports. Bible was a requirement every year, okay? And a lot of the kids I would roll with in class, they would, they would, they, they would sit there and they'd say, the Bible has just become a textbook to me. I used to think, I used to take the Bible, I don't recommend this, but, but the kids that would say that, I'd take the Bible right behind them in class and smack them upside the head with them. Bless their hearts, okay? <laughs> Bible's become a textbook. Then, then, then I went to, you know, college, and, and even in my pastoral leadership classes, can you believe this? Pastoral Leadership 350, Dr. Luke Kaufman was my professor. It was a Monday, Wednesday, Friday class at 8 a.m. And on Fridays, every week, M Melissa, this is crazy, every week, he would have a test for us that made up of 60% of our grade that was a scripture memory test. Can't believe he'd make us memorize the Bible as pastors. Can you believe that? <laughs> and I had so many of my peers, of my students, that were frustrated. Like, I can't believe it. We're in college now. We shouldn't be having to memorize scripture. Oh. It's a great question. Right? And so many of us have different views of the scriptures in our life. What's yours? You don't have to say it out loud, but what's yours? How do you view this letter in your life. So, I mentioned Dr. Luke says they, 
devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was he talking about with the apostles' teaching? They didn't stop studying the word of God. They didn't stop studying the word of God. They devoted themselves. They were all in on it. They were focused on it. They persevered in doing it. Even when, when it was hard and the truths were, were, were confusing or, or people were, were, were leaving their gatherings as a result of them, they didn't stop studying the truth. They never compromised on it. They never compromised on the truth of God's word. They continuously and in a diligent manner applied themselves to doctrine. What's doctrine? A set of beliefs that are held by the church. Where do they come from? Scripture. So they devoted themselves to the study of this book, and not only the study of this book, but how to apply the beliefs that are within it. They devoted themselves to it. They gave their lives to it. It was the point of the church. It was the point of the church, right? It wasn't so that we could come in and have the show of the music and, and, and then when that's done, okay, Travis gets up and does his deal and dances around for, you know, 30 minutes to two hours and, and, and then the band's gonna come back and play another song. Listen, I've been to some cool, fun churches growing up. I went to some churches where people, they had two pairs of shoes. They had their church shoes that they, this is getting in my way. Okay, they had the church shoes, okay, they had the church shoes that they wore into the building, but they brought their running shoes with them, right, and so they'd go down to the front row, and they'd, so they'd change shoes, and all during the music, they used to run around, and, and it got really good when they'd pull the flags off the wall, and they start running, running around, it was, whew, man, okay, that's a whole nother message, we'll talk about that in Signs and Wonders in a couple weeks, okay, we'll get there, okay, all right, but, 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 I used to sit on the back row and with my friends from youth group and we, would, and we would think, man, man, I really hope the pastor doesn't get up and preach this morning. I hope we get to hear music for the whole thing, right? Because those were, those were more entertaining, right? They were more entertaining. And as a teenager growing up, man, those were the fun services. Because I'll be honest with you, I wasn't there for this. I was there for the music. I was there for other reasons. I wasn't there to hear God's word. And now it's like, man, the, the way that our music, and, 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 and I don't know if you heard it, but behold him, right? The reason we sing behold him today, we want you to behold the truths, to be still and behold the truths of his word, right? He turned graves into gardens. He gave you life, right? The purpose of this text is that you may have life and have it to the full, right? We're going to sing build my life in a little bit. You know why we're going to sing build my life? is because we want you to build your life around the truth of the scriptures. Everything points, everything that we do here points to this. If it didn't, we shouldn't do it. If it doesn't, we shouldn't do it. Everything points to this. Why? Because if this isn't here, we shouldn't be. Okay? This, this is all pointless if it's not centered around the truth of God's Word. And that's exactly what Dr. Luke was saying. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were a Bible-studying church. They steadfastly, continually devoted to devouring the word of God that came from the apostles. They were committed to it. They were committed to devouring the word of God that came from the apostles. They dedicated their lives to it. They dedicated their lives to it. I was reading one article uh, from a pastor that was talking about the authority of Scripture, and he said he always found it interesting he always found it interesting in his ministry that he had 30 people come to a, a board meeting 
to vote on the, the color of the carpet in the windows, but he'd have 10 people show up to Bible study. Right? Or he'd have 40, 50 people show up to, to potluck or, or, again, a board meeting, and he'd have four people show up to prayer meeting. Mm, let that sink in. There's no such thing. Hear me now, because we've got to think about the last couple of weeks. We've got to put this whole thing together. Okay, there's no such thing as a spirit-filled Christian who neglects the study of the Bible. Okay. There's no such thing as a spirit-filled, that's important, Christian who neglects the study of the Bible. You can be a Christian that neglects the study of the Bible. I think you're missing out on a ton of stuff. Okay, I think you're missing the point. I'd love to have a conversation with you where you buy me coffee and we talk about that. Okay? All right? But the difference maker there is spirit-filled. Okay? And remember the four inward things that, that Peter talked about in his message. Lordship, repent and be baptized, and be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gifting of the helper and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit takes over, we look at Scripture differently. Okay? It comes to life for us. It comes to life for us. Okay? And so the difference there, when, and so I know it's a big statement, there's no such thing as a spirit-filled Christian, Christian who neglects to study the Bible, okay? You've got to focus there on spirit-filled, all right? In the same way, I would say that there's no such thing as a spirit-filled church that does not give itself continually and steadfastly to the study of Scripture. All Scripture. The first sign of a spirit-filled church, oh, I want this. May it be so of summoned. I think it, I believe it is. Is one where spirit-filled people do not flee from the Bible and seek a substitute for it, but are driven to it to have their lives rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Where we don't seek a substitute. I've said for years as I was talking to my friend this past week, I truly believe that the church of 2021 God help me is paying the price for the people before us caring more about getting more, more people in the doors than preaching the truth of God's word. Now, hear me. I'm not calling anybody out there because I get the pull. I get the temptation. But as long as I'm your pastor and I'd love to stick around for a little bit, my prayer is that we hold God's word higher than your attendance. We have to. We have to. I will stand before God. We're going to talk about judgment in just a minute. I will stand before God and give an account for every message I preach to you. And that I allowed to be preached from this pulpit. I see one of my biggest jobs as your pastor is guarding this. What you hear from here. And I take that very seriously. And so I'll have to 
answer before God as to why I let Ian do what he did last Sunday. (laughs) Sometimes I miss you being able to see my expressions. Get out. No, I'm just kidding. But we have to. We have to hold the scriptures at a high standard. And I don't want to pay the price for caring more about you coming week after week. Look, you can find anybody that'll tell you what you want to hear. But I pray we come here because we're going to tell each other what we need to hear. Deal? Okay, that was free. Why do we study God's word? Number one, we study to know Jesus. We study to know Jesus. Okay? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It was all about Jesus. They, that we study to know Jesus. John 5, I'm going to start in 37. You'll have 38 through 40 on the screen, but I, I wanted to back up a little bit. I don't like jumping in at the middle of a sentence. So I'm going back to the start of the sentence. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard. His form you've never seen. Verse 38. And you do not have his word abiding in you. Strong words from Jesus here. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Jesus is talking about himself. He's like, look, I'm standing here. I'm, I'm, I'm right in front of you. But you're not abiding in the word that was sent by my Father. Because you're not even believing me who is the one whom he sent. You search the scriptures, verse 39, because you think that in them you'll have eternal life. But the answer isn't there. It is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so the scriptures, hear me, hear me, because, because I don't want to misconstrue this. The scriptures are not our Savior, but they testify about our Savior. And the reason it's so important that we study them is because they bring to life Jesus, the one who went to the cross to bridge the gap and to forgive the sin that separated us from God. And so we study the scriptures so that we can know Jesus. What should study of God's word always point us to? It's important to remember that we're to study the scriptures to seek and know Jesus as our source for eternal life. The power of understanding what the scriptures say is not for knowledge only, but because they testify of Jesus. Because here's the thing to remember. The Pharisees knew about Jesus. The Pharisees knew about Jesus. I mean, I mean, let's, let's, even, let's even go here. The demons knew about Jesus and shuddered, right? I mean, let's go to that one, right? I mean, the demons knew and shuddered. The Pharisees knew about Jesus, but they missed the very point of why God gave them the scriptures. They knew about Jesus, but they missed the very point. And what I believe for each and every one of us, and what I don't want to happen, is I don't want us to miss the point of this. I don't want us to miss the point of the fellowship. I don't, want us, I don't want us to miss the point of the scriptures. They were binded by self-righteous knowledge. Those Pharisees. So we study to know Jesus. Number two, we study to prepare ourselves for disciple making, for ministry, and for service that each one of us is called to. Listen, if you're still breathing, let's do a check on that just real quick. Everybody, everybody good? Okay, good. I'm struggling, but I'm breathing. All right? All right? If you're still breathing, God's not done. And he's called you to a ministry. 
He's called each and every one of us to disciple-making. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He's called us to service. We're never more like Jesus than when we're serving. Right? Jesus, in, in, in John 17, in his high priestly prayers, he's on the way to the cross, he, he tells his Father, God, I've completed the work you gave me to do. What had he done? He hadn't gone to the cross yet. He hadn't been resurrected yet. All he had done in his life was make disciples. He completed the work that the Father gave him to do. He made disciples. And that's what God calls us to. We prepare ourselves in the study of Scripture for disciple-making, for ministry, for service. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture. Somebody say all. Oh, yeah, y'all are with me. It's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I want to go back and I want to jump on something real quick. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. What does that mean? Number one, it means that God inspired the whole thing. Okay, the, the 66 books, the 40 different authors, three different continents, how can they not, how can they not tr contradict each other? How can they not step on each other's toes? And how can there not be anything there? Because God inspired the whole thing. Okay, he inspired each one of those writers to write what they wrote, again, that we might have life and have it to the full. Okay, and so that's important. That's huge to remember. Okay, all scriptures breathed out by God. And I want you to see one more thing here before we talk about this even deeper, okay? All means all. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Not just the New Testament. I think I've told you this before, but a lot of my brothers who are preaching Sunday after Sunday after Sunday never go back to the Old Testament to talk about the beauty of Jesus in Jonah. To talk about how Jesus was their creation. Okay? All scripture means all. It means that we can go to the hardest parts of the text and they're profitable for us. For teaching, for correction, for reproof, rebuke. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for these things. For training, for training. So none of it is exempt. None of it is exempt. So let's look at this. Again, we study to prepare ourselves for disciple making, for ministry, for service. The four activities that the Bible talks about is profitable for. And number one, it teaches. It helps us understand and brings clarity to life. It teaches us. The second one that's not on your screen because I messed up when I sent my notes to, to Jeff this week. It reproves. Right? It says there for training, for reproof. It reproves. What does that mean? It shows us how we've sinned. It shows us how we... So another word for reproof there is rebuke. Right? It shows us how we've sinned. It shows us the error of our ways. It teaches us. It reproves us. It rebukes us. Number three, it corrects. It points us to the truth when we're in error, it corrects us. It corrects us. And then lastly, it trains us, shows us how to obey. Paul talks about it in another place where while bodily training is of some value, training in godliness is of value in every way. Right? Training, is a, training is in, in, in godliness, training in the word is of value in every way. Why? Because it shows us how to obey. 
God's word is fully sufficient to prepare us for everything the Bible commands us to do. Another way to put it, if God put it in front of you, he's going to give you the tools to overcome it. We just got to go there. We got to go there. And it's amazing. Talk about a systematic reading plan, right? It's amazing. Um, I'm, I'm reading the Bible right now. I'm trying something new this year. I'm reading the Bible in a year. I'm doing it. I'm going Genesis uh, to Revelation. I'm in Exodus right now and Matthew. And I'm having a blast. I'm, I'm doing something personal. I won't tell you now until the end probably. So come back in uh, December, last Sunday in December. I'll fill you in, okay? Um, but uh, um, it's amazing to me. I mean, this past week, I just read Exodus. Uh, I talked about it a couple weeks ago. Show me your glory, right? Where, where Moses is on the mountain. He's frustrated with these Israelites. And man, just even in that passage that I've read, I've talked about, I've preached on more times than I can count. And, and something else just jumped off the page at me. It's like, yes, God, you're so good. Even in that. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God to transform us into Christ-likeness. Ephesians 5.1, imitate Christ, therefore, as his dear children. That's the call. How does he do it? The word of God. It is fully sufficient for life. And then number three, we study to know Jesus. We study to be equipped. We study to transform ourselves. Okay, now remember what happens, okay, at salvation. All right? Peter talks about this in his message in, 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 um, in Acts chapter 2 that we, that we looked at, right? Death to life. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? All, all, of, all of these verses in Scripture that talk about what happens at salvation, when, when there's a change inside of us, when there's a change inside of us, and we begin this process of transformation. Now, here's where a lot of us get frustrated at salvation, right? We think we're going to give our lives to Jesus and poof, everything's going to change, right? Right? Bank account's going to go from red to like super black, right? Marriage is going to go from struggling to whoo, right? Kids are going to just automatically obey, right? Because they're just going to hear, obey your father and mother and you'll live a long life, right? And that's just going to be it for them. Right? People are going to stop lying because they're going to see what happened to Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts when they lied. They got killed, and so everybody's just going to stop lying. Right? And, and, and things are going to be magically better. Right? Right? Wrong! Right? Things don't just poof, get better. Right? There's a process of transformation. And we study the scriptures to keep ourselves in the process of transformation. I heard Dan say it yesterday at men's breakfast. We are still all a work in process. We don't reach perfection this side of heaven. I know some people think you have, but we've got news for you. Okay? We don't do that this side of heaven. All right? But the purpose of studying the scriptures is to further ourselves in the process of transformation. Look at the book of Psalms, chapter 19. Okay, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord is right, are right, excuse me, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, 
and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. We study the Bible to transform ourselves. Let's look at this. Let's, let's break it down piece by piece. What does the Bible do in us as we study and understand it? It restores us. It restores us. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It restores us. I had somebody come to me a few weeks ago. I think it was after I preached on repentance, and they just were beating themselves up, beating themselves up. God doesn't love me. God doesn't love me. Let me tell you something. I looked right back at that person. I said, that is not of God. He loves you. He's crazy about you. Beloved son and daughter, he loves you. And so we need the word of God to restore us because we need to drown out the lies that the world and the enemy and ourselves is telling us. I mean, seriously. I'm, I'm, I'm moved in this service by that lyric, be still and behold him. Be still and allow the words of Scripture to wash over you and restore you. Daily. For your job as a parent, husband, wife, son, daughter, brother, sister, daily allow the Scriptures to restore you, to speak life into you. Because I know we all need it. Secondly, the Word of God makes us wise. The Word of God makes us wise. Wish I could tell you how many times that I, as your pastor, have used the Bible as my last resort and been stressed out and anxious about something for weeks and then I just read the Bible and I'm like, oh yeah, dumb dumb. There it is. Right there. It's like that hype song. Whoop. There it is. Right there. Right there. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've been stressed out trying to make something happen, trying to make something happen. And, and I'll read something like, wait on the Lord, for he is good. And I'm like, well, that's dumb. And then I try it. Oh, yeah. I'm glad I waited that one out. I mean, just think of... Just think about it. If we would have been hasty a year ago, we could have paid $700,000 for land that we just got for $400,000. Hmm, patience. Saves three hundred grand. Maybe that'll work for you. Anyway, let's keep moving. Just be patient. You'll see. Anyway, that, I digress. Makes us wise. Number three, gives joy, gives joy to the heart. Gives joy to the heart. Look at verse 8 there. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. I was telling my friend the other day that I was talking to about church and sermons. I said, you know, I don't think God sent his son to the cross so that the church could be boring. And as much as week after week after week we look at scriptures and hear messages that challenge us, it's for our joy. It's for our joy. gives joy to our heart. Number four, 
It enlightens our eyes. For some of you that need something more simple, it opens our eyes. Right? It opens our eyes. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlighten our eyes. There's truth in the word of God. Uh, number five, warns us of judgment. All right, we've got to go here. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. Okay, He's warning us of judgment. The scripture warns us of judgment. Listen, I don't know what it's going to look like. We've got some messed up views of scripture as to what's going to happen when we die and we go before God. But I already told you, I'm going to be judged on every message that I give. There is a judgment. I don't know what it looks like, but there is a judgment. And my friend in the, in the truck the other day that I was having this conversation with, the, the thing that probably stopped me in my tracks the most and burdened me the most, and I almost started tearing and weeping right in front of him, was when he said, I guess I put myself in that biblically illiterate category where I don't really know and I don't really care about the scriptures in my life, and I guess I'll just get to heaven and see what happens. No! No! Like, I, I, I don't want that to be how you view this thing. Because we can have the assurance that, man, we're going to worship together in heaven. Like, I don't know if I'll recognize you. I hope I do. I don't know if I'll be able to beat you in basketball in heaven, Matt, but I hope I get to. Like on earth. <laughs> Shots fired. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know, there's a judgment. I, there's a judgment. You know what Scripture says? Not everyone who calls Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's one we don't like to talk about. That's one we like to leave off our plate when we're going through the buffet of the Bible. Right? But it's true. It's there. There's a judgment. We can't dance around it like it's not going to happen. It's there. Well, pastor, be careful, because now you're just trying to fear me into believing. No, I'm just telling you the truth. If there's that fear, then that might be the Holy Spirit, like trying to wake up, right? Like, that might be the Holy Spirit, that, but that's just the truth. I don't know what it's going to look like, but there's a judgment. It's in there. It's scriptural. It's biblical. We can't avoid it and dance around it. We've got to talk about it. Why? Because I want you there. Not because I want to pick on you and want you to stop this or stop that, but because I love you enough to tell you there's a judgment coming, and I want you on the right side of that thing. And so I want you to pursue Christ with everything you got so that we can worship together forever because I believe in eternity and it's going to be awesome and there's hope there and I don't know, I don't know what it looks like but I know it's good, I know it's good because the Lord says it is and so I want you there I want you there and I want your family members there that don't know Christ I want your brother there I want my brother there. <laughs> Warns us of judgment. And then lastly, one of the 1,260 promises, it promises reward, which we've already talked about, it is the hope. It's the hope. As I shared with my friend in the truck the other day, 
That's what separates us from any other religion, any other belief system. It's the hope for eternity. So yeah, Scripture warns us of a judgment, but it promises the hope. It promises the hope. The judgment's not the end of the story. There's a hope. There's a hope. The psalmist here notes that God's word is worth more than money and food. And I want to close with a verse, Hebrews 4.12. Because the writer of Hebrews reminds us that God's word discerns our hearts, intentions, and motives. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. For the word of God is living and active. That's why they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Because there's life in the word of God. It's the point. It's the point. And so my challenge for each and every one of us today is very simple. Come on, worship team. My challenge for each and every one of us today is very simple. Yeah, I need that. I need it. I need it. Okay, this will make sense in a minute. It's very simple. Prioritize the Word of God in your life. That's your application. That's your challenge. As you leave here, whatever you said earlier is your relationship with the Word of God in your life right now. I want to challenge each and every one of us today, and this this is applicable for every one of us. Whatever level we're on spiritually, wherever we are in our walk with God, it's applicable for every one of us. Okay? If you're at a 9, how do we get you to a 9.1 in prioritizing the scriptures in your life? If you're at a 1, how do we get you to a 1.1? All right, you got time, okay? How, my challenge to you is how can you apply this message in prioritizing the scriptures in your life? Because it's worth it. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. It's a story about a father who created the heavens and the earth and said it was good. He created man and man was alone. He said it wasn't good. So he created relationship. A fall happened out of disobedience. And then from Genesis 4 to, Mo- to the end of Malachi, <laughs> that Italian prophet, from Genesis 4 to Malachi, we see blessings for obedience and cursings for disobedience. We see a lot happen in there. A lot happen. But the theme is blessings for obedience, cursings for disobedience. And then we see Jesus come on the scene in Matthew. You hear about it every Christmas. Okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they tell the story of Jesus. 
who, who was given, who God sent, right? We all know it, for God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent his son to uh, uh, save the world, right? Um, so Jesus lived 33 and a half years, was crucified, went to the tomb, rose three days later, to spend about 40 days with 140 of his closest peeps, to ascend into heaven to go and prepare a place for us. And he sent the Holy Spirit that breathed life into a group of people that became the church. And from Acts chapter two to the end of Revelation, we see instructions for that fellowship of people called the church on how to build each other up, how to devote themselves to scripture, how to deal with false teaching and hold to truth how to love each other well in roles like parenting and marriage and relationships. It's worth it. And that Jesus came to die for every sin that separates you from God. How can you prioritize the scriptures in your life? You know, there's an app for everything. So they tell you, it's true, I'm convinced. You know, you can lump your apps together. The reason I got my phone out is because I've got a folder in here that has six apps for, to help me study the Bible. There's this thing called the Bible app, it's free. You can find every translation you want in the Bible app. Life Church out in Oklahoma put it out for free. Craig Groeschel's the pastor there. You can find Bible studies in there, reading plans. And if you're driving, you're like, well, I don't have time. No excuse. You put it on there, they'll read the Bible to you while you're driving into work. We've got one of our elders. He, he has a drive every morning, and he just puts the Bible on and listens to the Bible on his, on his drive to work. So he's just constantly just pouring Scripture into his heart every day. The question is, how are you going to prioritize the Scriptures in your life? What's one thing you need to do today? We'd love to help you with that. We'd love to help you with that. Base camp is kind of the point of that, but we would love to help you, even in conversations outside of that. Get more out of your Bible, because it's the point, and it's so worth it. Can I pray for you? God, as we're about to sing this song, build my life, I pray that each one of us would look inward. That each one of us would look inward and ask ourselves, how do I build my life around your word? How do I build my life around your word more than an hour ago? Because God, your word is constant. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's a sure foundation, the cornerstone. God, there are so many places we can point to in Scripture where we can see that it's that you're for us and that your word is for us. And so, God, I pray that each and every one of us would put things aside so that we can place.
a high value of your word in our life. That we can prioritize it. That we can share it with others. That we can claim the truths and the promises so that we can warn and be warned about the judgments so that we can experience the hope and the life that's in your word. May it be so. In Jesus' name.